Joey, how's it going, man? How are you? Mark, what's up, dude? I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm really, really stoked to have you on here. And for everyone listening today, we have Joey Cafone. Joey is the founder of Baron Fig, and we're going to dive into a little bit of his story and how he's gotten to where he's at and some of the cool things he's doing right now in the future. So, Joey, do you want to start off in giving us a little background on you, Baron Fig, and how you got started in entrepreneurship? Yeah, man. Uh, it would be my pleasure. So, hi, everybody. My name is Joey Cafone. I am an entrepreneur and a newly minted author. We'll get into that. Uh, I founded Baron Fig, a company that makes tools to help you do your best thinking. Been doing that for 10 years. And I recently wrote The Laws of Creativity, a book that teaches you how to master your ideas. So I'm a designer under the hood, and essentially I've designed and art directed over 100 products from zero, from the idea all the way to launch in the consumer's hands. Uh, and I would say in a nutshell, my work is all about helping people turn their ideas into reality. So whether it's the company that helps you do your best thinking with these tools or the book that helps you master your ideas, my goal is to help you express yourself with your ideas much better. And essentially, how did I start Baron Fig? My goodness. Uh, so there's a roundabout manner that I found myself in art school in New York City at the School of Visual Arts, SVA, which for people who don't know SVA, because I did not when I went, um, SVA is what Harvard is to business. SVA is to design, basically, and I had no clue, um, which is cool, you know, in retrospect, but I kind of got myself in there through sheer luck. And anyway, I'm in design school and enjoying the hell out of it, and I notice that all my fellow students have two tools. Mark, you probably have these two tools. I mean, people listening, you've got a laptop and a notebook, okay? Yep. Been using the same notebook for 10 years now. Oh, dude. There you go, man. There's there's loyalty, especially, I mean, yes, there's, there's absolute loyalty. So I'm looking around at art school students, and everyone has the same laptop, but the notebooks are all, all different. So it's like MacBooks just across the board, and notebooks, different brands, sizes, and everything. And so I'm like, what, what the hell's going on here? Why is there ubiquity in one tool and not in the other? So, you know, this bothered the hell out of me for years. You know, I, I was like a freshman. And it wasn't until my senior year that I was probably ex expressing my discontent for like the thousandth time to a buddy of mine named Adam. And he was like, dude, you need to either make this or shut the hell up about it. So anyway, we put it on Kickstarter. We raised, we were looking for 15 grand. We did 168. This is in 2013 before Kickstarter was big. And boom, fast forward. You know, we got funded. Here we are now with like 70 products, 80 countries. Um, you know, we make a lot more than notebooks. That's awesome. And so I'm curious, like, were you still in school when, when you started the idea for Baron Fig? You know, that's a great question, man. Nobody asks that. Uh, so designers have a thesis, which is to create a really robust something. Okay, you get to come up with what it is. Some people are like, I'm going to write a book. Some people brand like we'll rebrand Target. And my idea was I want to start a notebook company. Okay, and I remember this clearly because I presented this to my thesis teacher and he was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so basically he shot it down like 
like with a bazooka. Well, I, I have to say, if a college professor tells you it's a dumb idea on entrepreneurship, it's probably a good idea. Right, right, right. So I and he didn't even ask, like, hey, man, you know, tell me why you think that. He was just like, that sucks. So um, I did it on my own. And instead, my thesis was I whipped up something in like a week and just moved on. But yeah, I had it. I had it. I started in school and kind of like rolled out of school, continuing it. That's awesome. So did was this kind of the, your first thing out of school? Or were you freelancing, doing design work for other companies too and kind of doing it on the side? Yeah, I kind of had a circuitous uh, journey here. So there's, there's actually like a a prequel to this story, which is I originally went to college for four years for literature and philosophy, and I, I did it all. It was great. I, you know, I was four years studying the greatest stories and the greatest ideas, right, from the greatest thinkers in history. It was like awesome. But then I graduated, well, I wrapped up, I should say, during the financial crisis of 2009. So there were no jobs already. So you imagine like for literature and philosophy majors, like there's nothing. I, I was, I graduated in 2009, 2010 from school too. So I know the exact same feeling you were going through. Yeah. What a crappy start for us. Um, anyway, I finagled my, I, I, I realized if I tried to push that, there would be a lot of suffering and not that it would be bad, um, but I, I was like, screw it. I didn't care back then I did not give a crap about anything um, so I finagled my way back into design school by using my high school portfolio that I had made and never used and I ended up taking all those ideas and putting them into design so I actually went to school for eight years straight including summers because I needed a place to live every year um, so so when I was on my seventh or eighth year seventh year of college I started freelancing to answer your question so I had been freelancing like as a junior, but I was, I think, I, what would that be? I was like 25 by then. So I kind of just worked and finished school and started this business and it was all like meshed together. Cool. That's, that's sick. And so was there a point of starting Baron Fig where you, where you said, hey, I'm finally making enough money, like I can stop doing other freelance work? I actually, um, I don't recommend what I did, but I stopped, which... I stopped working, dropped all clients, handed them off, and I did that in May of 2013. And I basically was like, I have five months, six months of cash. I will either go broke or make this work in six months. And we were able to do it. Uh, we launched the Kickstarter in like September. Like I just made it. So I, I dropped it because I knew for me, and it's different for everyone. But for me, I needed that fire to say, like, you are going to lose your home if your dumbass doesn't follow through on this all the way. And so that's what I did. For sure. It's one of my mentors calls it positive yes. pressure. It's like when you, when, you, when you know that you need to get something done, you'll figure out a way to get it done and to make it work. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it's, uh, it, it really did work. But, dude, I have a question for you. Um, so you wrapped up school during this whole financial crisis. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, for, so it's actually really interesting that you started Baron Fig kind of the same, you know, around the same time, or at least had the idea for it. So for me, I I was when I was in school, I was I was working all the time. 
So when I was when I started school, I actually wanted to be a, a producer in like live entertainment production. So I worked in entertainment production, and I ended up working for event production, event experiential marketing agencies, and got into the event marketing side of things. But at the same time, I I knew I wanted to start my own business, and I thought I wanted to get into like starting an event company, like a production company. And I had all these ideas and was trying to hustle deals in schools and to do some some event promote production work. But I realized like it's super capital intensive. It's going to be really tough to get this done. No one in the industry really, really likes it. So uh, at the same time, I was working for a couple of wineries up in San Luis Obispo and uh, and like running the tasting room at a winery in downtown Paso Robles. And I realized all of these wineries had wine clubs and everyone's like trying to pitch their wine club and i'm like no one needs all these wine club memberships (laughs) like no one needs to be spending the equivalent of like you know owning a ferrari on on monthly subscriptions right like a couple hundred here hundred here a couple hundred here and i was like you know what but everyone wants like good unique wines because at the time like it was it was really tough to find like good boutique wines at affordable prices, like out of wine country, you know? So I had this idea to create this boutique wine club and that's actually through my senior project, I started framing this idea and coming up with it. And then my senior year, I found an investor partner and then we went on and started uh, Calcos Wine Club, which was my first e-commerce venture and ran that for five years from 2010 to 2015 and yeah, I was moonlighting the whole time. I lived at my parents for for a good portion of that time. I was we had an office in in uh, San Pedro, California, down next to the port of L.A. Office warehouse. I would package orders in the morning, and then I would run ads and do I would do you know customer support and you know get emails ready in the evenings, do website stuff. So it was I was always working and hustling, and it got to a point where. I realized like my, the things I was seeing and doing with other clients with like a new venture criteria, my business did not fit them. Wine was super expensive to ship. It had super low margin. It was very commoditized and it was just tough to grow. At the same time, I had a, I had a partner that is great and I love him to death, but he, he just really didn't understand customer acquisition. And that became very challenging to actually grow it. And it's surprisingly like Club Dub started at the same time that we did out of a small office in Colorado. And they raised a lot of money and were able to grow into a, you know, multi, multi-million, now over a billion dollar business. Um, but, you know, just skills that we didn't have or, or think about doing at the time was raising a bunch of money. But yeah. That's a little bit of my background. Yeah, no, that's super cool, man. I mean, and to, to do that right out of school, it's like you're not, you know, at that age, personally, you're not there to succeed. That is like sure that, you know, you hope it happens, but you're there to learn, you know, at like 22, 23, 24, 25. And it sounds like that's exactly what you were doing. Yep. And what I've realized through entrepreneurship and like, starting multiple companies over the last 10 years is uh, the best thing you can do when you don't have money is learn more skills. 
like straight up learn different skills. That's the only way that you're going to grow. Like working for someone is, is only going to get you so far before you need to invest in acquiring more skills. You know, whether it's paying for those skills, getting into programs, doing whatever it is, like spending money and joining masterminds and getting coaches and, and having mentors has been the best money I have ever spent. And it's an ungodly amount of money, but it's helped me grow. It's helped me grow mentally, physically, emotionally. And really, I feel like it helps you put in those reps uh, when it comes to actually growing your business over time. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Um, I'm going to segue to the book I just wrote in reaction. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear more about the book. Yeah. A re reaction to this, but we'll kind of probably get back to why I wrote the book. But there's three parts to this book called The Laws of Creativity that I wrote. And there's part one is the how to think creative. Part two is the creative process. And part three is how to rise above the rest. And there's a chapter um, there's like a, a host of chapters that I wrote in reaction to working with some of the best of the best. You know, James Clear, Roxanne Gay, Netflix, and uh, just so many incredible entrepreneurs and creators. And you start to realize there's patterns. And hearing you speak about this um, reminded me of one of my favorite laws is the law of growth. And it essentially says learning has no limits. Don't be content to master one skill and neglect others. Without diversification, your strengths turn to weaknesses. You're a student for life. And I completely agree with you in that, like, you know, if you reach a dead end, just go learn something new. And the, the information is not additive. It's multiplicative. It's, it's exponential. It, because you say you know five things and you add one thing to it, you're not, like adding one thing to the mesh and making it six you're adding one that relates to each and it just becomes like you know i can't i suck at math but it's like 10 now and so on and so forth no no absolutely and they all when you have these when you can stack skills together they it multiplies it's it's not like addition it actually is a multiplier when you can combine all these things because now you have all these skills at the same time that you can use to go a lot faster than you could without them. You know, and I'll, I'll bring this back to one thing. I remember when I, since we were talking about being, being in school, I remember being like super frustrated in school, like just talking with my dad one weekend and being like, you know what? I just want to go to work. Like, I don't even really care about school anymore. Like I'm, I'm just frustrated. I was, I, I put in a lot of work into school, but I was not that great of a student. Like I was not, I would be the, I would be the one in the library that would teach the four or five other kids that didn't other classmates that didn't go to class, like how to do something. And then they would do better on an exam than me. But I remember my dad told me, he was like, it always stuck with me. He's, he said, he's like, listen, when you, regardless if you're in school or not, you're always going to be learning. Don't think that you're just going to stop and do stuff. And that always stuck with me. And as I got into building my own business and, and growing entrepreneurship is those one that one it's, it's that one type of role and, and thing that requires you to stack skills, you know, and to, and to become a high performer. You know, it goes back to like being a professional athlete. If you're a, 
If you're a swimmer, you just don't swim, right? If you're a runner, you just don't run. You cross train, you do other things. You focus on your nutrition. You focus on stretching. You focus on weightlifting, right? You focus on being mentally tough. And it goes the same for anything that you're in. You need to stack those skills to be a peak performer. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I got another question for you. Like, Joey, what do you do to keep, to keep yourself fresh when it comes to creativity? Good question. Uh, I mean, it, it's thankfully, it's a perfect segue. So it, it is learning. I find that I don't have to worry so much about being creative or thinking creatively if I just set the stage for it, right? So essentially, uh, I read all the time. I'm constantly trying to push myself. I, I, I'm sure you're familiar with intentional practice, right? There's, I, I have a law in the book called The Law of Intention, which is similar and it adds to that and it tells some stories and everything. But I, I have like a, I would say is a quadfecta, even a word. There's a quadfecta. It's like read, meditate, exercise. And then there's a fourth one that is, I call practice. And so every day I intentionally learn. And I, in 10 minutes, how can I learn something brand new? And so sometimes it's for programming. I program every day where I really focus on that. Sometimes it's playing the trumpet. I'm terrible at music. And so it's a great way to feel extremely uncomfortable. Uh, for example, when I play the trumpet, which I'm just bad at, uh, and that's great. Um, it, not only does it really push me to get uncomfortable, it, re it helps me recognize what discomfort feels like, what I'm really good at, because it puts into perspective all the other skills that I have no discomfort at all. And so it grounds the hell out of me by, try by doing this thing privately, that I, you know, I don't, I'm not going out to make money playing the trumpet. It, it's it's not one of the skills I expect to really um, create the mesh of stuff that I'll ever build a business around. But it, it empowers everything so strongly. And so, basically, just constant learning is just constant data that helps me be creative. Because in my mind, creativity is just very sim simply the practice of ideas and when you put that into action, it's just self-expression. That's it. It's, it's super simple. And why does learning truly help is because creativity, um, which I want to tell you, I'll get back to this on why creativity is important. But to answer this question, creativity is a, the name is a complete misnomer. It should not be called creativity because you're not actually creating. You're just combining. That's, that's all it is. Like an iPhone is just a computer and a phone. Tesla, cars, right. It's just batteries and cars. We're constantly just combining things as they develop into new things to develop. And that's just how it goes. So when you learn a lot, you all of a sudden have all these little building blocks where you can combine and then, you know, be more creative. Yeah, it's so true. It's like no one, no one ever comes up with great ideas by just staying in a silo and not being exposed to things. The most creative people are well-traveled. They've experienced a lot of things. They've read a lot of things. They've done a lot of things. That creativity fosters along the way. Yeah. But I do want to touch on why creativity matters because I think people have it all wrong. Um, I, I think I know at this point creativity, 
people think it's something that only the pros have, you know, designers or writers or illustrators or sculptors. And uh, it frustrates me because uh, writing this book and even before, I would say, hey, do you think you're creative? And people would always say, no. But the truth is that you are, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, or like I'm not trying to paint like a woo-woo picture. NASA, the company that puts, the organization that puts people in space, that is accurate down to the, the millimeter, light years away, they did a study and they found that 98%, I love this, they found 98% of kids at age 5 are creative genius level. Okay? NASA. This is not some random, you know, place doing a study for someone else's benefit. What's really interesting is that by adulthood, the number reduces. What do you think it reduces to? What percent? Just throw, just throw a guess. I would say maybe 5, 10%. Close. That's a good guess. You're the closest so far. 2%. 2%. Oh, my God. It goes from 98 to 2. That's like not as that that's not an accident. That's like a legitimate systemic failure. Okay? Kids kids are creative geniuses. We we're creative geniuses and then we lose it. We start off as being a creative genius and then it just we slowly lose it. Or or we don't lose it slowly. We lose it throughout our childhood and in adulthood. Guaranteed. When you go from 98 to 2, that's what it's called a guarantee. Like, it's pretty much certain. Uh, and so I wrote The Laws of Creativity to try to, to not teach you, because you already knew it at one point, to help you remember what you knew as a kid. So everything in the book should be familiar in, like, a deep sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's, a, that's insane. That, I did not know that. That's nuts. Yeah. When I discovered that single stat, so someone at uh, Baron Fig, we were working together on all this stuff, and she's like, you're not going to believe this. And she, like, sent it to me, you know, uh, over uh, Basecamp, and I clicked and read it, and I was, I actually, like, stood up at my desk, and I was like, holy shit. This is the heart of the book. And it, and it is now. It's become, like, the cornerstone of what I'm trying to do is you knew it, now you're going to remember it. It's powerful stuff. That's awesome. And what I'm curious, what got you to to want to become an author and to write this book? Well, I, I thought I was going to be an author my whole life. I've written all the time. Like I, I thought I grew up writing, thought I was I went to be an English major and a philosophy major, thinking I was going to be a writer. And life didn't go that way. And I, you know, as a, I, my kind of life philosophy is not to fight uh what happens you know not to like push against what the world is telling you to do not in a like a in a way where i believe fate or anything i just think sometimes opportunities present themselves so take advantage and design presented itself and i took advantage but i knew that i always knew that i wanted to write this book and lo and behold uh when the pandemic started and we're all quarantined you know, I'm talking about it at the dinner table, and my wife is like, if you don't write this now, you are never going to write this book. So then I did. That's awesome. And I'm curious, like, what, do you, what, are, uh, what are some of the things that you see on the horizon with the book? Like, what do, you, what do you think you might be writing a series on them on creativity? Is it, is it anything, that you want to, that anything else you want to do with that? So I wrote this book 
in a way that's counter to a lot of the knowledge out there on how someone who wants to write books should write a book. What do I mean by that? Is um, if I were wanted to be a professional author, I would take ideas individually and write books on them, and I'd make a ton of money. I'd have like multiple books and sell. Um, but because I have Baron Fig, I don't need to do that. It's kind of like Ray Dalio, right? He wrote Principles, and he's put like every goddamn thing he could in there because he's like, I'm not here to make a whole ton of books and make money. I don't need to be a New York Times bestselling author that's that needs to roll out a new book every year and do another tour. Yeah. Right. So what I did is I put all of it in one book. So you, you have part one, two, and three of the mindset, the process, and excellence. And it's like, there are, this book, for better or for worse, and then by worse, I mean like, when I come on interviews like this, I have a whole lot of stuff I'm supposed to remember to actually answer, because the book is dense. It's 39 laws. Each one, you can find entire books written about. Like, there, like there's books out there about failure, about iteration, about writer's block and resistance, um, about inspiration and, and all sorts of stuff that I could have literally almost written 39 books. But instead, my, what I thought was really useful was number one is dispelling this BS about what creativity is, that pros do it, that it's gotta be, um, visually it has to look like it's doodles and stuff. You know, all these stupid ass creative brands out there where they're like kids drawings. Like that's, that's perpetuating some myth that it's magical or that it's uh, childlike or for a certain demographic. It's absolutely not. And the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to provide the first holistic view of creativity. So how does the thinking affect the process and how do you take the process and the thinking and really rise to excellence? And you have to cover all of it together in a unified uh, text. And so that was, and I have no desire to write another book at the moment. Like I, I have other books that I could write, but like I'm cool. Like this is not, you know, Baron Fig is where I make my money. Baron Fig and making things is what I love. This book just happened to uh, come to life because of a series of events, you know, creating Baron Fig, the pandemic and so on. Nice. So let's, let's go back to Baron Fig for a moment and like tell us like a little about, about where you guys are at now as a company, like where are you guys going and and uh, maybe what's what's on the horizon? Yeah, so Baron Fig originally started with one notebook, one size, a couple paper types, and that was it. It's like all you could buy. Now we have, then we moved out to pens and people, It's this is, you're gonna love this. Um, people were like, yo dude, you can't make pens. You're the notebook company. So then we make a pen, we call it the Squire pen. Turns out people are buying it just as much. New York Magazine rated it number one out of 100 pens that they tested. It like went gangbusters. It, you know, depending on how you enter Baron Fig now, you could say that you're the pen company or the notebook company. So then we decided to branch out into fabrics to make cases and other tools. And again, I got people saying, yo, dude, you're, you're just the notebook and pens. Like, why would you go do this stuff you don't know? And again, now we see so many, our primary product, the starter kit, the or AKA the idea tool set, 
sells gangbusters, man. Like if you want to to make ideas and you want to place a home for it, you buy the case, the pen, and the notebook, and it's it's so simple and limited and private and direct, and it's the way to go. Uh, and then you know we've just grown. We just keep putting these circles around our product lines, and then we uh, we did bags to hold all that stuff, like a backpack. I've got our latest bag here, which released just a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, man, I could send you one of these for sure. It's uh, called the Venture. It actually has, dude, it has, um, I'm holding it up, but you guys out there can't see it. It's a black bag. I have on mine a electric orange and a bright blue strap. So the straps are actually modular. I looked at the bag and I was like, yo, why don't we make a backpack straps like shoes have sneakers uh, where you could change the shoelaces, right? And so you could just customize it and just have a ton of fun with different straps. And I mean, that's been a huge hit, man. People are buying multiple straps and like swapping them out. Like, we don't sell those two colors together, uh, but you can mix and match. And so long story short is we're, we made these tools to help you ex do your best thinking. Next year, I haven't said this to anyone yet, you're the first. Uh, next year, we're going to start not only helping you do your best thinking, but help you get even more and better ideas. That's all I can say for now, because I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We haven't finalized anything, but I want to I want to be there like like the book is holistic in helping you master ideas. I want to help you bring your ideas to life in a few different ways. Love it, man. That's so cool. And uh, with with where you guys are at right now as a company, do you do you have any you know like is the, is Bering thing something you want to continue to run for the next five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? You you know thinking you might sell it one day? Do you, I'm just curious. Like with I love when I talk with founders like you that have been actually operating for for years now. You know it's not like you guys have been doing this for two or three years and getting momentum. Like you guys have been around multiple product lines, had some success. Where do you see yourself going in the in the future? Is it is it getting an exit? Is it building out new product categories? Where do you see? Yeah, great question. I it's it's a it's hard to say because I'm not going to turn down, you know, what do they say in The Godfather and I, an offer you can't refuse or something. But what's really important to me is having a place where I can create. I mean. Uh, I'm a designer, not a business. I don't have a business background, right? I, I had to pick that up and learn that to run this company. And so my primary goal has actually been how can I create a place in which I could just make as much cool stuff as I want and have that run, uh, fund my, my living. Do you know what I mean? So it really depends on what could happen. I mean, I, I ideally like to risk the business. Like, I love to do stuff that uh, makes people shake a little bit, you know, behind the scenes. And, you know, we all talk about it, but like making a pen, right? We put a shit ton of money into that. And, you know, back then we didn't know if it was going to work. And we've just done that over and over. And that's how it stays fresh. So to answer your question as simply as possible, I could go either way. I'm, I, I think as long as I am having fun, it, it, almost, it almost doesn't matter to me, to be honest. I think that's the best, that, that's how you know you're in the best place possible, right? 
when you're waking up every day and you're still able to create. And it brings another question for me, for you too, is um, with everything that you're doing now, are, are you still pretty involved in the product design process? Do you have a product team that you work with? Are you the product team? Just curious how you guys are, are structured internally. Yeah, good question. Uh, well, I'm a, like I said, I'm a designer. And so part of why I built this company and continue to do it is that I get to make the stuff. So myself with a design background and uh, our COO, Jay Desai, who's a mechanical engineer uh, and is incredible at bringing things to life, him and I together as a duo, in, we design all the new products and all the new forms. So what I mean by new forms is when we designed the pen the first time, that was us. And then when we make limited editions, we get to hand that off to our design team, which has had some incredible talent over the years. Right now, Laura is our senior designer who has just made some of my favorite limited editions to date. And so we're able to share the responsibility, but we still build the, the fundamental forms the first time. And I really enjoy that. Cool. And I'm curious, how are you guys set up? Are you guys, do you guys have an office in New York? Are you guys full remote? Yeah, yeah, we are, we have a studio, we call it. Uh, studio Fig in uh, Long Island City, which is Queens. It's like, the, we're literally a few blocks from the river and then there's Manhattan. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, it's not the same as Long Island. It's a really crappy loca crappy name for a location, Long Island City. But if you look on the map, we're basically, every day we get to see the New York City skyline out the window. It's, it's really beautiful. Um, and so at the studio, we do a lot of collaboration in person. The pandemic was rough. Of course, you know, for most people it was rough. Um, for us, we kind of, I designed the business around in-person collaboration. And I'm, you know, not a fan of uh, remote, not because of trust issues or inefficiency or anything. I really just think that when you're doing a creative act, being in person allows for the most, uh, the highest probability of a good outcome. And so when you design the business around that and anyway, but we're like, what are we now? Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, oh you're going to like this. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're in the studio. Thursday, we're remote. Friday, we no longer work. We have a four-day work week. Yeah. No <laughs> yeah. Four-day work week. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing that uh, since last September. So it's officially a year as of like this week or last week. Wow. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So tell us tell us about that because I think a lot of people have thought about going to a, a, a four-day work week. But how are you guys – how are you guys managing that? Maybe tell us tell us what it's been like because that's a solid commitment. Been been almost a full year, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. We're like we're not. It's not an experiment at this point. Um, so first of all, when we presented it, um, everything at Baron Fig that we've done over the years with our team has always been presented as an experiment upfront. Hey, we're trying this thing. If it works. We'll stick with it, and if it doesn't, we won't. Here's what it looks like if it would work. Here's what it looks like if we think it's a failure. Cool, let's all just give it a shot. And the four-day work week was one of those. We are like, hey, everyone, from September to December, the end of the year, for, what is that, four months? Yeah. 
Yeah, four months. We are going to have a four-day work week, and we'll see how it goes. And if we're all stressed and crunched, we're not going to continue in January. And if, if we manage and we adjust, then we will. I'm like straight up, I want this. I, I'm, I'm open with my team. I want more days off. I want to work less, and I want you guys to have the same thing I want. Like You can have it too. However, we have to realistically see if it's functional for our business. So presented it that way. It went great. We learned a bunch of lessons. Um, we adjusted. We get, I would say, we work 80% right of the week, four out of the five days, and we get 98% done. I feel like there's like a 2%, like re- almost invisible bit that we don't do, but it's, it's effectively zero. We're able to do the same thing. For anyone out there considering it, I'll say two things. Number one, you could go to my LinkedIn, uh, Joey Capone, and I have a longer post if you're interested. And we'll we'll put a, we'll put a link to that post down in the show notes as well, along with everything else in the book. Yeah. Cool. And uh, second thing, the only thing we learned to really be diligent about is do not have two three-day weeks in a row. So normal weeks are four. If there's a holiday, then there's three. Okay, if for some reason we have two of those weeks back to back, it's a nightmare. It's it's crunch. We really feel the stress of it. However, if it's so, would you would you yeah yeah sorry for yeah. interrupting you, but I'm curious. Like, let's say we've got Memorial Day weekend, like or or Labor Day weekend, right? We just had Labor Day weekend the other week. Like, how do you guys roll into the next week? Would you still take Friday off? Or would you, would, and you would have had the Friday off the day before too. Uh, correct. We, yeah, so the, because Monday's Labor Day, so the previous week would be four days. The following week would be Labor Day week would be three days, just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then we go back to four. It's totally fine. Then you go back to four, but you make sure there's not any back-to-back holidays with an issue there. Correct, correct. So when there's only three, when there's a three-day week, as long as it's not, two of them together you're easily able with just like relatively simple planning able to pull a couple of things forward push a couple of things back you get the whole team to say hey everybody cool like two weeks before i always tell everybody now's the time you start looking at your schedule push and pull it's your fault if you're stressed it's like you're going on vacation before like you're gonna be gone for exactly same everyone everyone always is i don't know about you but when i know i'm going on vacation or when i'm going on a trip I'm always way more productive the five to six business days before I leave on that trip because I'm anticipating that I need to get things done and I don't want to have to deal with it when I'm gone. Absolutely. Um, so long story short, we've kept it. It's great. Don't have two three-day weeks back to back. And now the number of days off we have a year when you do the the when you count every Friday, when you count the days we give people off, it's 95 days a year people have off. So it's like three months off every year when you add it all up. Yeah, it's nuts. It's bonkers. And we're able to run uh, totally fine. Uh, and I guess if you're interested, is it bi- you interested in this business? Uh, you know, some business thoughts from a designer? <laughs> Okay, the other thought is we've run the company based on the 80-20 principle. For people out there who don't know, it's 
it says that um, 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. So way back in 2013, I hypothesized it with my co-founder at the time. And I said, yo, dude, what if we just did the 20% and we're okay with the 80%? And we just were like, screw it. Like, we're just going to go at this speed. And like, you know, forget the little 20% at the top that takes the extra 80% to, to do. And um, that has made this marathon of running a business so much better. We don't, we just don't try to do everything. For sure. And I'm curious, like, how has that been when it comes to attracting talent? Like, I'm, I'm sure that's probably a really, really compelling like statement to be making. We have four hour, four day work weeks, right? You're going to get 95 <laughs> days off a year. Like, how is that when it comes to inbound hiring for a new position? It's like the easiest thing in the world. Uh, you know, for anyone out there considering it, do it now before everyone is doing it. And then you'll reap the benefits. In addition, the, the, the benefits like you're mentioning now, Mark, about talent acquisition on top of the benefits of just like less stress. That's so cool. And I'm curious, just another thing, how have you, have you found that there's specific personalities of employees that you're like character traits that you're looking for in people that potentially are going to be able to really perform during those core four days of the week versus people that might be just trying to slack off a little, need a little bit more time, need a little bit more guidance. Like I'll tell you on our team, like we're, we're full remote. And that's just because when COVID happened, we had an office down here in uh, Santa Ana, California. And then we were opening up a production studio in LA. We were going to have like a production studio that we could rent out for shoots. Cause we, were, we do some content work for clients as well. And then we were going to have a bullpen office and then everything happened. We opened an office in Ukraine too, three weeks before COVID started. And so we just went full remote. Um, and some of the character traits that we look for when we're hiring is like people that can really operate on their own, you know, and, and they don't need to be babysat. So I'm curious if it's the same for you guys when it comes to the four day work week. Yeah, self-governance is a huge one. Uh, we were we were prioritizing that from day one, like 2013, just to try to get an independent thinking team. Um, I will say that I'm, I'm not, I have, unlike my four day work week and my uh, 80-20, in terms of hiring, I, I would say that I have not ha had the volume to master that. Um, Unfortunately, I still find it challenging. Um, it's people, people do a pretty damn good job quite often of talking a big game in an interview and it's a little hard to suss out, you know, just how much of that is, is gonna actually translate. And I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that there are people out there, hiring managers who are far, will be far better at, at uh, identifying those things than I am at the moment. But um, we have, we existing at Baron Fig is not um, you don't get a pass. We've fired more people than we've hired. And uh, we really try to find the right person because once we get the right person, it's it's um, you know, I'm sure you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there know it's it just makes everything so easy, really. Just get the right players in the right positions.
the right players in the right positions, you need you need less people. Yeah, yeah. And so we're not afraid to hire and, and you know, fire. And I'm, again, I'm very open with people about that fact. Like, I'm not trying to trick them. I'm like, it's hard for me to tell. I'm, I want you to succeed. Like, clearly I don't have it out for you. I want to hire you and for you to kick ass and for us to move on. Like, I, I, I try my damnedest every time with every employee that Baron Figures ever had to give them, you know, every resource to succeed. Uh, but, you know, just like, um, you know, in a, in a sports team, you know, not every player is a good fit for the starting lineup, and it just is what it is. No, I hear you. What are what are some character traits that you look for in employees when you're hiring for Baron Fig? Yeah, uh, self governance is is number one, really, and that's um, that is the hardest, but I think the most important. And number two is like, do they understand creativity on some level? Like, are they creative? And uh, I am a good, unlike the other one, the previous one, I am a good measure uh, after a conversation to say like, what, how creative someone probably is and creativity is essentially the ability to ideate to endure some failure to think outside the box a little bit to not be afraid to express themselves right these are all easy things in my mind to uh discover in a conversation and um if we get that right it becomes even for people who don't immediately fit well in terms of what we need those people are able to learn very quickly. They're able to not beat themselves up when they don't get it right. You know, they're able to speak up and say, hey, Joey, I don't understand. Or, hey, Joey, I think you're doing this wrong. Here's how I would do it. Love that. Uh, so, like, a creative mindset, I think, is is top, aside from uh, being independent. Someone that's going to create a little... and. I think this is a big thing in the creative process that we actually see on the on our age on the agency side of things because primarily like we're we're doing strategy and planning so we're coming up with ideas for campaigns or writing copy we do design work in a nutshell that's what we do like we put together all those things to help make brands more money and uh, I always tell clients like if we're hitting a little resistance which we're challenging you you're challenging us it's actually a good thing that means we're we're trying to push things forward if it's way too easy right just flowing back and forth probably means we're not pushing things yes. forward enough I, I agree it's like uh you know imagine the idea is a block of uh marble and together you're scraping you know you're chipping away at it and you need that pressure and that resistance and fight through it to come out with something that you've crafted together that's beautiful because if it's too easy it's probably just what are you, you probably just chiseled away a big old stone and yeah it's probably not that good if it's too easy yeah it's yeah. just stupid yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's not enough thought put into something if it's too easy to get across the board yeah vice versa too there is a time where you're just like hitting a brick wall on a brick wall <laughs> it's just it's just yeah challenging so i think it's a fine balance between both sides it is a fine line well that's awesome well well, Joey, is there, I know we're wrapping up on time, but is there anything else that you wanted to uh, maybe uh, talk about your book or, or Baron Fig in general in, in regards to how people might be able to get in touch with you if they want to learn more about it? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely recommend, you know, if you don't think you're creative, read this book, uh, even more so than if you do think you're creative. And you can check it out at uh, joeycafone.com slash book. 
you'll be able to go click a few different directions to buy from. And we'll have that link in the show notes as well for everyone. Yep. And also check out Baron Fig at baronfig.com. We're doing a lot of uh, fun stuff over there. You can also pick up the book there. And finally, um, always love to connect on Instagram and Twitter at Joey Cafone. Tell me what you're up to, uh, what you're working on. Love interesting ideas. If you disagree with me, that's always my favorite. Uh, so I'd love to, to hear from you. That's awesome. Thanks, Joey. This has been great. I'm so stoked to have you on. And uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing everything that you had. I mean, it's awesome to see what you're what you've built with Baron Fig and and how you're now bringing that that creativity forward with the book. So it's been great, Mark. Thank you, man. Uh, what a pleasure. I love when the conversation goes in directions that you know are not expected. You know, just because I'm releasing a book doesn't mean we need to talk about the book the whole time. And I love. I love where it went. So thank you for the, the conversation. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Joey.